Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Monday. It is October the 9th. A lot of turmoil going on over the weekend. So much for our quiet pumpkin patch visit, huh, y'all? It's fall. We thought we were going to be able to go out there and avoid some of the chaos and just enjoy some family time. And, of course, we saw breaking news around the world. We saw Israel being attacked by Hamas. A lot going on there, a lot to unpack. We're going to do that tomorrow. We're going to give it just a little bit of a pause. So I'm going to ask your patience to think about it. We're going to bring George Hill on tomorrow to discuss sort of all of the things that go on there and the analysis that we do as sober and skeptic pro-America types and maybe what America's role is in there. I just gonna, I just want to let it sit. It actually kept me up at, light, at night uh, thinking about it last night, and I wanted to make sure that we did something that was of service to you. So we are going to do that tomorrow. Uh, today we're going to be sharing you, a, uh, sharing with you rather, a interview with Colton Moore, who comes from Georgia. He's a state senator there, and he's been staunchly America first, staunchly pro-Trump. I think uh, he's gotten a lot of flack for that. He's actually been abandoned by his caucus. So we brought him on to kind of tell his story, who he is as a person, and, and give him this, the Kyle Serafin Show treatment as we do, letting people kind of just tell us the lens that they're seeing the world and why they think it's important the way they do it. Uh, I also want to say thanks before we get started to our friends over at Catholic Vote. So allow me to throw them up here on the screen. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, there they are, Catholic Vote. You can see the loop. Uh, I put the website up so you can see what it looks like when you go to their homepage. It's catholicvote.org. If you look just to the right up on the top there is the loop. You can click through it. You'll actually get today's loop. You don't even have to subscribe if you don't want to. That's an option for you. I do think it's some of the best news you can get. And they do say that it's all the news you need in one minute, which is something we can all appreciate if you just want to catch up with what's going on in the world. Today's loop includes, uh, let's see, war in Israel entering the third day. Uh, Americans being listed as killed or missing over in Israel. It's going to be a lot of that. Deadly earthquakes in Afghanistan. You're probably not going to hear that in a lot of places if you're not paying attention. U.S. weapons being used in Gaza. What's that about? Uh, and, and where are they coming from? The Pope and the uh, Jerusalem Patriarch calling for peace. That seems reasonable. U.S. sending their warship. There is a, uh, a battle group that is heading there from the United States Navy. Some stuff about school choice. It goes on and on. A couple of other good things on there. Also, Catholic Vote's a really good place if you want to keep track of all of the crisis pregnancy centers that are being attacked in the United States and the failure of our federal agencies to do anything about them under the FACE Act. You can do that. 320-plus attacks so far. They are keeping track over at Catholic Vote, which you guys would expect. Um, we're going to promote Garrett's stuff a little bit later, but I do want to thank all of you for uh, supporting my friend Garrett O'Boyle. He has been uh, getting orders coming in. It's keeping him running ragged, and that's a good thing. Suspendables need to do work. We're like all outdoor dogs. You need to give us something to lift and give us something to focus our energies on. So I appreciate you guys supporting Garrett O'Boyle in all of that. Um, let's do this. Let's talk to uh, to the state senator, Colton Moore. Hold on to your hats, folks. Uh, this guy can speak and send a message. I think you guys are going to appreciate it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I think you're going to enjoy this. We've got a conversation coming up here with Senator Colton Moore. He represents the, what is it, the 53rd District of Georgia in the state Senate there. He's got himself in some hot water because he likes to say things that are true and he likes to uh, push the interests of his constituents. So we're going to have a chat about that. And uh, he's an interesting guy. He's had a pretty wild life from what I can tell. I'm going to have him tell it to you in his own words. So Senator Moore, thanks for joining us today. Kyle, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right, bud. So I've got some questions. Uh, you're pretty young. How old are you? 29. 
You're 29 years old and you've lived about four lifetimes in that. Why don't you tell us about growing up in Georgia and let's work forward with some of the things. I see you got like awards uh, for being an auctioneer and driving trucks and now you're working in politics. So I want to get there. Let's start from the beginning. Yeah, so um, grew up in Northwest Georgia, um, fifth generation to live on the same mountain. So quintessential hillbilly, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's where uh, a lot of my uh, spitfire comes from. Uh, if you're going to live uh, for five generations as a family on the same mountain in North Georgia, uh, you're going to be uh, pretty steadfast in your beliefs and your principles. Um, you know, the way I look at it is generations have paid property taxes here and um, they've uh, they've protected their freedoms. And it's my role to continue to protect that. Uh, growing up, my dad had a uh, small trucking company. Uh, hauled very, very different things from, uh, you know, Nestle's chocolate uh, to cattle uh, from all the stockyards here in North Georgia, East Tennessee, out to the Midwest. Uh, that's kind of where I learned about auctioneering. Uh, the young age was exposed to a lot of auctioneers, became infatuated with it, uh, became a dream job. I, I never dreamed I could have. It's allowed me to uh, to travel across the globe. I've, I've done auctions in probably five different countries, uh, continue to do that. Um, it's a, um, it's an interesting occupation for a politician, you know, auctioneers and politicians, they, uh, they both talk fast and take people's money. Some would say so similar job description, <laughs> um, you know, truck driving, uh, you know, grew up, I uh, got diesel fuel on me at a young age and that stuff doesn't wash off very well. Uh, my dad still, uh, has an excavating company and, uh, you know, operate bulldozers and excavators when I'm not legislating or auctioneering. So that's kind of my story. And uh, represent 200,000 people here in Northwest Georgia, from Rome, Georgia, over to the Alabama line, over to Interstate 75, and all the way north to Chattanooga. So I've got one of the wealthiest communities in the state of Georgia, and also one of the poorest communities in the state of Georgia in my district. And uh, it's a it's a mix of all types. You said five generations on the same mountaintop. I think that's something that many people cannot fathom. I think a lot of us are transplants. We move around. Uh, tell me about history of politics in your family going back to those generations. Anybody ever been involved in a, in a state role like you? No, I mean, uh, the, uh, they were um, settled and, and had their cattle when uh, the troops from Illinois and Mississippi crossed Lookout Mountain into the Battle of Chickamauga. Uh, my family hid their cattle. Uh, they, didn't, they were just like, look, we got boys, they're about to start shooting at each other, and they're going to want our, our livestock to eat. This is nothing more than a banker's war. And uh, they were very independent and neutral uh, to uh, to that situation. And, you know, that's kind of the spirit of independence that they have. You know, get government off our backs, out of our pockets. You leave us alone and we leave you alone. Uh, the problem is government today uh, continues to creep in on our freedoms and liberties. And uh, that's what's led me into politics to help defend that. It's a very interesting perspective uh, and one that I'm not necessarily I didn't grow up with, but I, when I moved to the South, I lived in Texas and I lived in uh, parts of Florida and things like that. And I, I lived in Mississippi. You guys have a very different look on the way the civil war went down and the way that, it, you know, what it was about for the average guy. You want to just kind of talk about sort of, you just brought that up a little bit. So I'm curious if you'll kind of dig into sort of the, the, uh, the, the different view, the lens that you all bring to it. Yeah. So, I mean, we're Southerners obviously, but we're not plantation owners. We don't have any flat ground. We can't grow row crops. Uh, so we didn't have very many slaves. I think there was one slave family in the entire county uh, that I live in now. Um, that's you know, slavery wasn't an issue for us, and uh, but states' rights were certainly an issue for us. Like I said before, we just wanted to be left alone. We didn't want government overreach. Um, we you know, homesteaders, if you will, you know, everybody kind of took care of themselves and took care of each other. Uh, very small community here on the mountain. 
Uh, it's a very beautiful place. Today, there's um, you know a lot of folks coming in from all over the country to buy a big, beautiful bluff lot, you know, 2,200 feet up in the air so they can look over the common folks in the valley. Uh, that's kind of what it looks like today. But, you know, that's, uh, that's kind of the story there. And I heard you use the word hillbilly, which might uh, prickle a couple people. Tell me about what the word hillbilly means on, on your end of things. Uh, I mean, a hillbilly is uh, someone from the hills that, you know, is is rugged, independent. Uh, they, uh, you know, they aren't looking for any type of government subsidies. You know, uh, look at, uh, you know, the the song Long Haired Country Boy, if you will. You know, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of um, folk music in America that portrays that. Uh, you know, Oliver Anthony's music up in Virginia, I think certainly portrays a lot of uh, where my folks come from today. I think that makes a lot of sense to people. Uh, you're, you're probably one of the few politicians, at least that we're talking to recently, that has calluses on his hands. I'm pretty sure you grew up uh, running things hard and and having hands that are not moisturized like we see a lot of those folks out in D.C., right? As granddad said, no worky, no eaty. <laughs> My dad said there's no such thing as a job you can do sitting down. That's right. I remember hearing that a lot, and that, and that meant there was a lot of shovel work in my in my uh, growing up. So we we probably share some of that work ethic together. All right. So we figured out this. Can you you can talk quickly? Yes, sure. but you but yeah. you don't. Uh, what is what is the auctioneering? What what do you uh, what do you like about that profession? Because it it seems like one of those things. When I grew up, it was like the machine machine man. That was the fastest talker. And yeah. then I go see these guys. Are there all words coming out when you're doing uh, auctioneering, or is yeah. there some? Better able to buy. Hey, to get it down. Buddy, pain got to be ten. Hey, to get it down. Twenty. Thirty dollar. Forty dollar. Fifty dollar. Don't admit it. Hey, to buy. I'm sixty. Here down. Seventy dollar. Eighty dollar. Ninety dollar. And I have sold it. I hear eighty dollars. Um, <laughs> That's yeah. so good. What? It's, where, where do you pick up that skill? Who do you listen to to try to develop that? Um, so I grew up around a lot of auctioneers. Uh, I've got a couple of my favorites across the country. Um, I love uh, Doak Lambert out in Texas. He's a purebred cattle auctioneer out there. I love a guy named Joseph Mast in Ohio. Uh, if you've ever heard of the auction, Barrett Jackson Collector Car Auction, he's the lead auctioneer for that. You know, there's a lot of different asset classes that get sold at auction from big heavy machines like bulldozers and excavators. That's typically my line of work. Uh, also cattle, cars, you know, there's all the all these different assets. Billions of dollars of assets get sold at auction. Um, and it's it's like good music to me. You know, I you know, if you if you if you listen to music, it, it can make you impulsive. It can make you want to dance. And a good auctioneer can uh, make you impulsive and make you lift your hand up when you may be reluctant to to bid. And and that's the idea of an auctioneer is to exceed what the market is willing to give for an asset in the form of an auction. That is a truly interesting thing that I've never heard from any. I don't, I don't think I've ever talked to another auctioneer. So I'm, I'm fascinated to know about that. And I and it makes sense. You actually have a championship uh title at some point in time that you were able to earn it, it, are there competitions in all different asset classes yeah there's a, a world livestock auction championship a world automobile auctioneer championship and then there's the international auctioneer championship uh, which i've competed in uh, and uh, made it in a top uh, 10 and 15 finalists uh, every year i've ever competed in the the uh, competition there's auctioneers from south africa ireland uh, all over the world canada uh, that come in and and, and give their chant and um, it's you know, it's a similar, similar occupation across the globe. So how interesting. And is it all in English? Is that the, the only ones you compete in? I mean, do they do multi-language? I can't imagine yeah, how it sounds yeah, in Japanese. Yeah. yeah. So um, uh, for heavy equipment, it's all in English. Um, you know, the dollar bill still reigns supreme across the globe. I mean, obviously that's, uh, you know, kind of up for question and debate now of whether that will continue. Uh, but these are high valued assets that can easily be packed into a box and shipped all across the globe. I mean, we're talking fifty, sixty thousand dollar bulldozers and 
and excavators. So yeah, that's still sold in the U.S. dollar. Uh, some auctions will give the local currency and a conversion uh, for a buyer who may not understand English very well. Uh, but at the same token, you know, they're listening to the the chant and they can hear, you know, the, the idea of the auctioneer is to never make it known when you're going to say sold uh, to give that sense of urgency. It's bid now forever. Hold your peace. Mm -hmm. And is there a commission that is given to to an auctioneer based on the, the, the value that's gone or is it just a flat rate? It uh, depends on what asset class you're selling. Um, you know, the uh, the higher end equipment, uh, typically that's just a flat rate for the day. There's probably about 20 of us auctioneers uh, that travel across the globe and sell that. Um, you know, you some of your other auctions, maybe uh, high-end horse auctions and other things like that, you, you know, you might find a commission. It's not going to be a very big one. Uh, you know, I mean, 1% on a million dollars, that's, you know, that's 10 grand. That's a lot of cabbage. So Yeah, for, for a couple of, couple of moments of of running your gums, right? Right, right. <laughs> uh, tell me about the backgrounds of the folks. You you first served in the Georgia House. Now you're in the Senate. Maybe kind of talk about how you got in and decided what race you were going to do and 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 that first instinct in it. And obviously you've progressed. So you're still doing it. Yeah. So um, I was 24. Um, I had my uh, my degree from the University of Georgia in international affairs and political science. Uh, while I was at UGA, I worked at a car auction every single week, and that's, you know, I made more money there than I did working at the bookstore, so that was a pretty good occupation, way to go through college. Mm -hmm. um, I, I won the Georgia Auctioneering Contest, uh, was able to um, start selling some pretty high-end sales, was able to start traversing the globe, and uh, it was really beneficial uh, for me to run for office because in the Georgia legislature, it's a part-time legislature, you only meet uh, you know, January through around, you know, April or so. And I worked for several different auction companies. I could only, you know, miss a couple auctions for each auction company and, and they still kept me on. I could work the rest of the year. So it allowed me the opportunity, like I said earlier, a dream job I never dreamed I'd have. I get to, you know, travel the world, sell, sell big bulldozers and, uh, and get to legislate. I ran against a guy who was 50 years my elder and uh, he had a lot of money in the bank account, um, but there was no energy there. You know, this guy wasn't taking on the challenges of the day. And um, I ran, spent about $3,500 and, uh, and beat him out. He was uh, like, I think, an eight-year incumbent or something like that. And, um, you know, he'd only passed one piece of legislation. Uh, my opponents always say, you know, Colton, what legislation have you passed? And it's funny, the uh, lot of legislation that I introduced as a House rep I put so much pressure on my then state senator uh, that uh, a lot of that he got passed and pushed through himself because he didn't want me challenging him. Uh, he had three people run against me in my very first term. And I said, look, I mean, if you want my seat that bad, you can have it. I'll just run for your seat. So I ran for state Senate. Uh, COVID had happened during that time. So in the Georgia legislature, um, we suspended session. We never gaveled out. And that resulted in me not being legally allowed to raise money. So. Uh, I spent about $20,000 of my own money against uh, the senator's about $400,000 in, in PAC money and his, his big campaign coffers. It was the lowest score the senator had gotten in like his nearly 20 years in term. And I think he kind of saw the writing on the wall. Um, you know, the next election cycle comes up and I said, you know, this rhino has got to go. Somebody needs to run against him. Uh, the day that I sign up to run against him is the day that he resigns and decides he's no longer going to run uh, after a 20 year stint. 22 year stint. Yeah, that's that's impressive, uh, impressive pressure you put on. So you just thrown out a couple of dollar amounts at people. And I think most of us who are not in politics, who sort of experience it either from the news or we just sort of 
don't know at all. Uh, state politics is an interesting game. You talked about thirty five hundred bucks for your first campaign, twenty thousand dollars to get a state senate seat. Um, also, there's well, big money lost, for the. I lost on the twenty thousand dollars, and when I came back to, uh, for the second run, uh, I spent about a hundred thousand dollars against okay. about three hundred thousand. Okay, so these some of those are bigger dollars, but the, your initial buy-in, it sounds like, just to get into the house seat, thirty five hundred bucks. That's that's right. the thing people could actually raise. Um, does it pay a lot to be a state house rep or a uh, state senator in Georgia? No, you're looking at about twenty thousand dollars a year, and um, I tell you, it costs it costs me money. I know most of my fellow legislators, it costs them money as well to do the job. Uh, I think that's very uh, unfair for the system and for the republic. Uh, I think there ought to be a higher wage. Uh, I mean, look at the the billions of dollars that we spend on other things. You know, you would think that you know when when you look at I remember learning in school like what makes the congressional salary what it is, and it's like well it's got to be high enough that it prevents corruption, it prevents politicians from being able to be bought off, and uh, you get a lot of that in state politics. I mean, the salary is so low that you know special interests come in and you know they're able to influence in ways that. They really shouldn't be able to. So if you've got a good heart, a good principled heart, and you're ready to go fight, you know, you don't necessarily need a lot of money to jump into a state house race and you can have a lot of influence there. I mean, if you look at all the different races from across the country, from the election of dog catcher up to the president of the United States, and you say, you know, where is the best use of my money? Uh, it would be in a state house race. You know, state house, uh, you're a lawmaker at that point. Uh, it gives you the ability to uh, to call up other government officials in the executive branch and uh, inquire into the nature of things. You know, you're um, you're able to involve yourself in government and in, in, in many ways being a legislature. Um, so I would encourage anybody, you know, don't be reluctant. You know, you can donate all that money you want to your favorite politician or you could just save it up and, you know, drop three thousand dollars in a state house race. And you'd be surprised how far you can go. That's very interesting. Um, you just said you can call up the executive and, and get some inquiries done into uh, things you're interested in. What, what kind of things are you interested in when you're calling up uh, executives in, in Georgia? Well, I mean, as a legislator, you're dealing with all types of stuff. Right. I mean, uh, just in the past week, uh, we had an issue with. Uh, with school buses not not going the full route, apparently there's been a you know a, a pullback of spending in the school bus area. Some parents are upset that the school bus isn't coming down their road to pick up their kid. They're having to take them to the gas station or whatever to drop them off, and these parents are upset. You know, so uh, when when you call up the school superintendent, uh, you know that maybe opinions change a little bit. Uh, obviously, as a legislator, you have a lot of other influence in other areas uh, with the system. You know, when it comes to the Department of Transportation, you know, they're dependent on the legislature for funding. I mean, this is the beauty of the checks and balances of the American system of government. You know, if, if the, the Department of Transportation isn't getting the right of ways cut, they're not getting the roads paved on time. You know, you've got the ability uh, to go and call those people up and um, and start working out some solutions. You know, there's that. There's uh, there's also a bigger level of it, which is is what I'm engaged in now, uh, calling for a special session in the Georgia legislature because the Georgia legislature inherently has subpoena power, has the ability to investigate other government officials, and we've got this lady named Fonnie Willis down in Atlanta who is a Georgia official uh, who is using my constituents' taxpayer money. She's using about three and a half million dollars of Georgia taxpayer money to take on political prisoners now. So you've got the former president, you've got 18 others. I mean, what were these individuals doing? Well, I mean, my, in my constituents' opinion, they were doing nothing more 
than expressing their First Amendment rights to question the integrity of an election, to petition, um, you know, the results of an election, which they had every full right to do. That's what keeps, you know, elections transparent and accountable as we, you know, a government knows that people can inquire into the nature of it. Uh, but now they've been treated like they're treasonous uh, traitors and uh, they're facing the rest of their life in jail. Essentially, some of them are. And they're going to spend roughly a million dollars to defend themselves. And I mean, uh, I'm no rich man, uh, but I, I tell you, if I had a, a spare million dollars, uh, I would be trying to buy some bulldozers and some land in Montana with it, uh, not spending it to defend my liberty against a rogue fascist DA in Atlanta. Um, so, you know, that's where we as a legislature, uh, we can't do anything when we're, you know, we're sitting here talking on the camera or we're out doing our jobs. We have to convene ourselves into a legislative session, and that's when we can get to work on investigating and providing oversight uh, to rogue government officials like Fonnie Willis here in Georgia. I think a lot of people in my audience are going to be sympathetic to that uh, that idea, to that to that call for action. How's it being received in Georgia among your colleagues? Uh, well, you know, they're not very happy about it. They've uh, they've ousted me from the majority caucus of the Senate, which is it's kind of funny. It's uh, you know, I, I would consider myself now the only Republican in the Senate. Um, I'm in Senate leadership still. So I'm still a chairman. Uh, the uh, Committee on Assignments and the Lieutenant Governor, um, you know, they're, uh, they're probably, you know, my, uh, my only hope uh, in maintaining that, obviously. But they're conservative. You know, our Lieutenant Governor in Georgia, he was also uh, potentially going to be, Burt Jones is his name, he was going to be um, indicted, was going to be number 20. He was able to go to the judge and say, look, this district attorney was out raising campaign funds for my opponent. And uh, the judge said to the district attorney, are you crazy to try to bring a charge against him like this? Uh, and these are racketeering RICO charges. I mean, this district attorney, she's given herself jurisdiction across the entire country um, and, has, and has pulled Donald Trump and all these people together as, as if they're running a mafia scheme. I mean, one of the indicted is this this woman who's a retired school teacher in Coffee County. You know, she's she's looking at the election results. She's like the uh, the election superintendent, if you will, and she's getting three different counts of the vote. You know, and she's like, I can't in good conscience submit this forward. And now she's you know facing upwards of the rest of her life in jail. I mean, some of these defendants have had to mortgage their houses just to make bond. I mean. For, for me, like this is the front line of defending freedom right now. One of my fellow senators is also indicted on this. Um, you know, I've had senators who've called me up and they've said, Colton, please just leave us out of your ruckus right now. Like if we say anything, we're, we're considered co-conspirators ourselves. We might find ourselves in the judicial crosshairs. And, um, you know, I had some some choice French words for that senator. And I was just like, my goodness, like you represent 200,000 people. Like you're going to chill their voices and their representation. Um, you know, the president pro tem, his name's John Kennedy here in Georgia. Um, you know, when they were voting me out of the caucus, he says, Colton, we just have a fundamental disagreement. He said, you think we can take action now? He said, I'm telling you that we can't take action until after this case is adjudicated. And I told him, you need to take off your lit because he's an attorney. I was like, take off your litigator cap. And put on your senator cap for a minute and recognize that you still represent 200,000 people and they are your, you are their only hope in providing oversight against this district attorney and her rogue action. You've got the power to stop it now, but you're unwilling to do so. And, you know, we've got, there's a lot of PACs 
Um, there's um, there's a lot of feuds between me and other senators right now. They've uh, you know they've run to their local newspapers and said, "Oh, Colton's just a grifter. He's just out here trying to raise money." Um, so that money that I had raised in the last month, I just started spending it in their district, launching out like thirty thousand text messages in two senators' districts. You know, uh, reminding their constituents that it was their senator that is refusing to take action and is standing on the sidelines right now. Um, so, you know, there's been a, uh, definitely a, a civil war of such uh, within the Republican Party. And, uh, you know, I call myself now the, uh, the rhino wrangler uh, because they're not Republicans. They're just Republicans in name only. And um, they've taken that Republican title, but they're not standing up for the rule of law. They're not standing up for the Constitution. You know, they they said, Colton, we've got some rules here in the caucus that you may have broken. And I said, gentlemen, we all swore an oath to the supreme master rule, and that was the Constitution. It's got this thing in there called the First Amendment, and uh, now we're not going to defend it. So for me, if you guys want to go your separate way, um, I'm going to continue to advocate and defend the rule of law and the Constitution uh, on behalf of the people that I represent. Isn't it amazing how many people I saw it in federal agencies, and it sounds like you're seeing the same thing in these state houses that are... They, they abdicate their responsibility. What is the fear that drives them that you're seeing? Like, what, what, what are they actually scared of? You know, I think uh, here in Georgia, it's a lot to do with, um, with our governor. Um, our governor has, uh, has created this, like, Georgia First Pack. It's got millions and millions of dollars in it. Um, and you've got this upper leadership of this ruling class in Georgia. And I, and I think it goes both Democrats and Republicans. And it's, you know, a telltale sign of of what's really going on is when you see constituents who are burning the phones up of these senators and these state reps saying, please take action. And they're coming back to their constituents with, with excuses as to why they can't take action. Well, they're obviously more afraid of the big money at the top than they are their constituents down at the bottom. And, um, you know, it, that that's that's the sad part. That's the sad reality. You know, that that type of thing may have worked for these guys in the past 20, 30 years when we're kind of at a time of peace in our society. But right now, our freedoms are literally being snatched out from underneath us. And I have absolutely, you know, no sympathy for anyone who's going to sit on the sidelines and allow Fonnie Willis to get by with what she's getting by with. Because, I mean, it's just like Nazi Germany, right? I mean, first they come after your enemies. But you don't care because they're your enemies. And I feel like that's kind of where our governor is right now. He's like, Donald Trump's an enemy. So let him go after Donald Trump. You know, but for me, it's it's so much bigger than Donald Trump. I mean, it, it's about basic American freedoms, right? That I'm gonna defend, I'm gonna defend my cause regardless of who it is, whether you like Donald Trump or not. But then, you know, after they come after your enemies, they come after your friends. But you saw what they did to your enemies. So you're reluctant to defend your friends. And that's exactly where the Georgia Senate is right now with this rhino caucus. They're like, my gosh, like we got a fellow senator here that's being indicted. But we're reluctant to defend him because we, we don't want to find ourselves in judicial crosshairs like I talked about earlier. But what happens when they come after your enemies and your friends? They come after you. And at that point, there's no one left to speak for you. Yeah. Well, if, if senators are on the menu, then uh, then they know that they're. They got something to be scared of, and and they have two choices. They could stand up early, or they could just uh, let it steamroll. We talk about it on this show that uh, you cannot comply your way out of tyranny. It's very interesting. We you talk about some of the dynamics that go on in the state of Georgia. I think Georgia is an interesting place in many ways. There's a uh, there's there's clearly uh, a divide between urban and rural, and maybe you can kind of talk about how 
how a state that has always been thought of as red, at least in my lifetime, how it kind of has that purplish hue to it now, uh, particularly in the urban areas. Yeah, um, I think there's kind of two points to that. Uh, from a Republican perspective, uh, right now, I think the party has never been in more unison uh, at the local level. Hmm. So like the Cab County, Fulton County, Cobb County, those metropolis areas in and around Atlanta, you know, their GOPs are putting out statements right now in support of me. Just the same as those rural South Georgia counties, just the same as the North Georgia counties. So for the first time in, in my lifetime, and I've been studying politics for a while, that that I can tell that all of these GOPs, they're all singing the same tune. But to your question about why are we purple, well, the Democrats obviously have an extreme stronghold uh, in Atlanta. Atlanta continues to grow and grow. I mean, it is an internationally recognized city. We've got the world's busiest airport. Um, you know, that we're, we're basically the New York City of the South. And I think our murder rate actually just went up higher than Chicago's here recently. Um, so, you know, it's it's Atlanta. It's the Empire City of the South. But if you look at the political dynamic of it, um, you know, the Black Belt of America, which runs from, you know, Louisiana up through uh, central Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, up to Virginia. You know, that's where the largest concentration of African-Americans are in the United States. Well, obviously, that was because of the, the slave days. And um, the black voter is still the base of the Democratic Party. But what's so crazy right now is you're seeing so many Democrats freak out because they're recognizing that what they've done to Donald Trump is exactly what the judicial system has been doing uh, to the black man and to the black woman down in Atlanta. And for the first time, I think we as Republicans have a real opportunity, uh, especially us more conservative Republicans, to showcase uh, to these types of voters that, you know, we're standing up for the rule of law and for justice. And it's these guys, these Democrats uh, who are rigging the system. And, you know, that's that's what will change a lot of the Democrat Party's power, because without the black voter, you, you have nothing but a bunch of hairy legged women in California, you know, who are just hippie crazies. That's all you got in the Democratic Party. So they can't win with just that. We got that crazy hair colors. They're out there saying wild things, not making babies, but trying to run off with yours, right? Um, so my, my curiosity kind of goes like this. I, I, you mentioned the uh, sort of it's almost like a, an allusion to the, what we saw in the Holocaust Museum. There's a big sign on the wall there. It's uh, uh, Martin Niemöller, I believe is his name. He's a Lutheran pastor, and he says they came for the communists, they came for the socialists, you know, and eventually they came for me. There was no one. And in some ways. I think Americans are seeing this thing where, you know, they came for for black Americans. The, the federal government certainly did and, and had some really ugly things they did in the 60s and 70s during the civil rights movement. My my former agency tried to get uh, Martin Luther King Jr. to kill himself, which is pretty wild. And then uh, at some point, they started coming after the Muslims and they started doing that in the post 9-11 era. And now they're coming for so-called white supremacists who are just, generally speaking, conservatives. There are some white supremacists in the world, but they're not nearly as many as people would have you believe, uh, in my experience. So we've yeah. got this kind of bizarre world where uh, now people are seeing themselves in the crosshair and they are just now seeing that there might be some injustice in the world. We haven't had we being generally conservative Americans who didn't break any laws and weren't fudging it in the gray area. They never really got to that spot where, you know, they might be in the crosshairs of a judicial system. But now that judicial system is eating everybody around them and, and we're on the docket, we have this sort of new sympathy, I think, for some unfairness. Um, what do you think that's done with? 
Donald Trump specifically and the and the overreach that has gone in Georgia. Does this does it cut in favor of the Democrats win or have they have they inflicted maybe a um, stepped on a landmine they didn't see? I think they've certainly stepped on a landmine they didn't see. Um, I think a lot of the weaker uh, Republicans, the uh, the rhinos, if you will, uh, I think the negative effect that it's had to them, it's obviously chilled their voices. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're um, they're reluctant to take a stand. Uh, they sit on the sidelines. But you've got, I mean, think about Georgia. You know, Georgia was the epicenter for election problems in the last election. And you had, you know, people from all across the state. People don't get involved in government till government affects them in some way. So true. And when people were seeing that their loved ones who had passed away had voted, and then, you know, they're calling me up and I'm sending them to the Secretary of State's office. And the Secretary of State's office says, oh, you know, there was there was only a couple people that we found across the whole state that had died and voted. You know, people started paying attention and these people started recognizing that that they had big problems. And then they then when Donald Trump, when they come after Donald Trump and these 18 others, they're like, oh, my goodness, we still haven't solved the election integrity problem. But now you're going to come after us for even speaking out against the government. Um, so there is there we're at a boiling point is, is a, I think, a way to describe it right now in our state. And I think the next course and the next step of action is we've got to start putting up primary challengers against these people. I mean, I've been voted out of the caucus now, so like I'm, I'm proud to be the front guy now that's that's out there on the phone. I'm on the phone every single day uh, recruiting people to run against these rhino Republicans all across the state. And, um, you know, Donald Trump, he's there's nobody meaner and tougher in American probably world politics than Donald Trump. I mean, I love it yesterday when uh, he comes out of the courtroom and uh, he's just he's just highlighting the truth, right? Look at this court clerk and her connection with Chuck Schumer. And then the judge freaks out and says, no, you can't do that. I'm going to put a gag order on you. And it's like, you can see tyranny in real time. I mean, Trump is literally flexing his First Amendment rights to question the integrity of the government and the government's fighting back. And, you know, that's where we are right now. That That's what this is. You know, Fonnie Willis is taking on political prisoners, and uh, and I'm at the front line right now fighting back against her. The problem is I can't get any of these rhinos to come along with me. Yeah, the old joke used to be that if the government was really doing the thing that you say, then would they let you speak about it? And the answer now is like, they're not letting you speak about it. It kind of goes the other way. It kind of lets you know that that might be what the game is, right? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's becoming very, very obvious. Um you know, the uh, the media is, is having a hard time uh, explaining this type of thing now to folks uh, because they're in so deep themselves and in, in the, in the lie and the propaganda um, that, you know, Trump's polls just continue to go up and up. I mean, that, that's what I tell some of these fellow senators. I'm like, whether you like Donald Trump or not, I mean, can you not tell the situation that's going on and how that is making his poll numbers go up and up? People, your constituents are recognizing that there's a problem. And now Trump's got the ultimate victimhood status. They're going to be voting for him when they normally would not. Um, So, you know, you would think some of these guys would be just slightly politically savvy enough to say, oh, I'm going to get on board for that reason alone. You would think that. I said something early on that if they indicted him, and this was post-Mar-a-Lago pre-indictment, that if they did, they basically locked up the uh, the nomination for him. There's no question in my mind that was going to be the case. I said it on record, and I'm confident it'll go forward that way because people don't like seeing 
someone getting screwed by the man and the man is whatever this government tyranny is. Right. I mean, it's just, it's right. so obvious to us. Let me, let me throw this out there. I have two kind of ideas that are kind of competing in my head. Number one, you keep using the word rhino. I know that's the, that is the fashionable term for people, Republicans in name only Yeah. for me. I don't see any difference between what we call a rhino in common parlance and what the actual Republican party is about in reality, because it seems like they're the dominant force within the Republicans. You can call them neocons, you can call them whatever you want, but they seem to be the real Republicans. You're kind of the outlier. Maybe you're not the real Republican because the real Republican just gives into corporate interests and does whatever the hell it is they're doing right now. Those lose slowly. Those are corporatist rhinos. Yeah. So this, the second thing is this, um, I keep saying this to people and nobody really debates it real hard, but maybe you have a different perspective. The Republican party seems to be the party that wants to lose more slowly. And the Democrats always try to win and they don't care if they shoot each other while they do it. Like they shoot right across the firing squad and they hit their buddy because their ideas may conflict, but they're always about moving forward, moving the ball forward. And, and it seems like Republicans, conservatives in general are always defending territory and just losing a little bit. Does that, does that ring with you with the way you guys are dealing absolutely. with it? I, I have the exact same perspective you do on that. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's so funny. Here's a perfect example of what you just said. I'm calling for a special session. Okay. Mm -hmm. You got to have 34 votes in the Senate to call for the special session. There are 33 Republicans. So all of these, all these guys said, well, we don't have the votes. We don't have the votes. Well, what did the Democrats do in the United States Congress when they impeached Donald Trump? Did they have the votes in the Senate? No, they did not. But they still impeached Donald Trump. And I said, look, these guys, these Democrats, there is no such thing as a fair fight. These guys are going to continue to push the envelope. And you guys are going to continue to sit back and not do anything. Like you said, losing slowly. Yeah. Why is that acceptable to their constituents? What, what messaging are they putting out there that's successful that allows it to continue? Well, that's that's what uh, frustrates me in my current situation. It's like, you know, well, not in my the, the um, I, I've been calling myself a Republican advocating for Republican principles. And people see that and they're like, yeah, that's what it means to be a Republican. And then you get it yourself in this majority caucus and they're calling themselves Republicans. So they just have to go back home and say, oh, we're a Republican. We're like Colton. Well, no, you're not. You haven't done anything conservative. So right now, I mean, it's been such a blessing now that I've been kicked out of the caucus, the majority rhino caucus, you know, that now they're going to have to start doing their own work. I don't I don't I don't have to keep pulling the, the plow for them. You know, I, I told him when I first got in the legislature, I said, I'm yoked up like a mule. I'm ready to pull. I'm ready to pull some conservative agenda, you know, but these guys, you know, obviously they're going to have to pull it themselves now because I'm over here pulling my own train. You know what's so funny about doing this job? And I, and I didn't mean to do this job. I thought I was going to be a criminal investigator. But one of the fun things I get to do is I get to talk to somebody that we've never met before. You and I have never sat down. I know we'd have a good beer together. We'd have a fun conversation. Probably would get colorful language and, and people yeah. around us would tell us to pipe down. But, uh, I just find these commonalities that exist and there's certain types of people that piss off people around them because they do the right thing. It's really uncomfortable. And all my buddies, that's what this, this badge means. This is the, our suspendables badge. It says the FBI is under duress. The S is for suspendable. It means you're willing to lose your job over doing the right thing. And you got kicked out of your caucus and all they did was unleash you. They just unhitched you from all the garbage they were doing and they let you just, just run free. I mean, did they create their own worst enemy? Well, I mean, uh, I told uh, told the lieutenant governor, I said, you know, I said, my old truck was just out of fuel. I said, I'd been calling for a special session for a month. I couldn't get one of these rhinos to sign on. I said, and it was like Senate leadership just pulls up and they just fill my truck back up with fuel and I'm launching back out on the highway. You know, that's about that's about the size of it. So they, they took you from one guy yelling in a room full of a bunch of people that were talking. They pushed you outside in the hallway and nobody nobody's talking in the hallway. It's just your voice.
Yeah. Yeah. The hand made the microphone, no doubt. That's something interesting. What about your Democrat colleagues? Is there anybody there that's willing to reach across the aisle and say, hey, uh, they might come for us one day, too? You know, I think there are a few. Um, I've, I've got a lot of close friends um, that, you know, ultimately a lot of these Democrats, you know, they come from a, a very liberty, um, you know, liberal and libertarian, you know, the, the lib part. Um, you know, a lot of them believe in freedom. Uh, they're just not really good at advocating for it on the floor. Um, I've got a close relationship with a few of those people. Um, what, what's what's mind-boggling to me is we've got someone like Misha Maynard. Okay, Misha Maynard was a state rep down in Atlanta. Okay, she was a Democrat. About three weeks before I start calling for a special session, she jumps from the Democratic Party over to the Republican Party, and she's got a very strong testimony against Fonnie Willis and some of this corrupt action in the judicial system. I mean, people are people down in Atlanta are kind of waking up to the fact that they're like, look, like our murder rate is comparable to Chicago. Um, you know, my neighbor's getting robbed over here. But meanwhile, none of these crimes are getting solved. But you potentially have innocent people sitting in the Fulton County jail dying of bed bugs uh, because they don't have enough time to get them into the courtroom and provide justice to either the victims or themselves if they're innocent. But meanwhile, this district attorney is taking on political prisoners and, and got this whole political agenda going on. So we've literally had Democrats in metropolitan Atlanta switch over and become Republicans, and we're not putting enough pressure on like, I that That's what's so mind-boggling to me. It's like, why aren't all these Republicans standing up, fighting right now for freedom and putting the pressure on the Democrats? Because I think we would we would push some Democrats over to our side. I mean, because their constituents are upset. They're tired of their neighbors getting robbed. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. So I got a couple of years on you. I remember growing up when the difference between being on the political left and the political right was how you wanted to spend the money and how much you wanted to grab. It had nothing to do with whether you were calling the other team evil. And that's kind of where we've landed today. It's, I mean, that's that's in your lifetime. You've seen it probably in your lifetime in politics, where if you're on the political left, you're literally calling people on your side and my side evil and we look over at them and we think you're either stupid or evil, too, because some of these things are absolutely insane. I can't imagine getting behind these policies. So we have this impasse. They don't even want to defend free speech. That that used to be a, a universal American idea, free speech. It's like, right. I may not agree with you, but I would defend your right to say whatever you say, you know, to the death. And we don't have that going on anymore. Now we want to put them in jail for it. I mean, look at Kamala Harris. Like the last couple of times she's ended up. I have a hard time looking at Kamala Harris, period. Let's just be real. But okay. Carry on. Look at the backdrop behind her. The backdrop behind her is fighting for freedom. And it's like, that's the agenda. That's the propaganda that she's putting out to her people on the left. And it's like, you, you're literally taking away our freedom. Why, why are you suggesting behind you that you're fighting for freedom? You know, so when, when I say that a lot of these, these Democrats, especially in Georgia, I mean, when I had my press conference at the Capitol, uh, you know, I had um, Alveda King show up. I had Bruce Lavelle. I mean, these are black leaders in Atlanta who were there in the civil rights movement who recognize how our freedom is being taken away right now. And they're some of the some of the biggest allies to what's going on uh, and, and my push uh, to defend freedom. So, you know, these people, especially, you know, there's a lot of a lot of great Christian black voters uh, in Atlanta uh, who they, they're not happy with these crazy books and their school system. You know, they're not they're not happy about kids getting uh, sex changes. You know, these are things that the left is just all those purple held crazy people out in Seattle and San Francisco. They may believe that stuff. But, you know, folks in Atlanta don't necessarily believe it.
it, it turns my mind upside down. The idea that the uh, the purple held crazies, as you call them, the Seattle types, the nose piercings, the you know the sixty eight year old woman who's never had children and you know lives with a female partner that she's not in love with, and you know I don't know like people that I don't get. I don't know what they're about. I, I don't. Right. How is that a political coalition with people from the evangelical black churches, from the Catholic churches and the Hispanic people that are out there working their asses off every single day, whether, right. you know, people that are doing manual labor and blue collar jobs. And that's kind of the base that they're trying to represent. And yet, like, there's nothing in common when it comes to values for these people. And they're still getting votes out of it. And the Republicans aren't capitalizing on it. That seems bizarre. Yeah, that, that that's my point right now. Exactly. And we've got such a great opportunity to capitalize on it in this current situation. And um you know, I was talking to Bruce Lavelle and I said, Bruce, I said, you know, when I get into session in January, let's you and I let's start going, you know, to these different Fulton County uh, black barbershops. Let's start having these conversations. And uh, he's like, yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. So uh, I look forward to doing that uh, over the next couple months. I mean, because ultimately it's going to be up to us to reach out to them and say, look, we're, we're with you. We're all about some freedom. Um, but ultimately, you know, you've got these crazies within your own party and, uh, and hopefully we can find some common ground. You just said you wanted to walk into some black barbershops. I just had like, you know, auctioneer walks into a black barbershop in Atlanta. I don't know what follows after that, but that is an amazing story, right? That, that, that is a podcast in and of itself. You could do as many episodes of that as you wanted, and it would be absolutely riveting tv i'm sure people Listen, I'm, a, I'm a hillbilly rapper that's what i am so. <laughs> it'd be so good to see but th that seems like what's being lost like i i just don't understand why we haven't done that whether it be in georgia or or uh you know it seems like there's a national story that needs to be taken root and it's your colleagues are missing the opportunity i'm glad you're capitalizing on it what other uh what other things can we see because georgia in some ways is a harbinger of what's to come like you said some of the election fraud stuff that was going on there um they're trying something out by by putting Donald Trump on the spot and going after him with RICO charges in the state. Is there a legislative solution getting rid of some of these laws or tightening them up or making them, you know, state contingent? How, how would you even handle something like that? Yeah. I mean, uh, there's a, um, a, a bit of a, an, a debate that I'm having with several constitutional attorneys right now about potentially uh, coming into the legislature and redrafting the RICO charges uh, to basically, you know, push out uh, this type of action into the future, but also make it retroactive. And some people might say, well, you can't make a law and retroactive, you know, just because these people have been charged with it. Uh, but the other argument is saying, you know, if, if, you're if we made it illegal to name your child Kyle, and, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we're going to retroactively go back against, you know, Kyle's mom and try to charge her. Well, yeah, you could never do that. You could never retroactively make a law and then go back and create a defendant prior to the law being made. But uh, the argument can be made uh, that you could change the law, especially with this current situation going on in an effort to defend uh, a defendant. Uh, hmm. So that's one option we're still working through, um, talking with a lot of attorneys on how to set that up exactly, because wouldn't that be something if, if we could make that work and then you force that type of vote in the legislature and then literally these people are essentially voting on not, you know, whether or not to pardon Donald Trump and these 18 people, you know, and then the other common app options that we have right now is it only takes a simple majority to defund Fonnie Willis. You know, what would Fonnie Willis do if she lost three and a half million dollars and, you know, my constituents taxpayer money for this type of political mess? You know, what would the citizens of Fulton County do? The citizens of Fulton County are like, look, now our taxes are going to go up. 
We still haven't had anybody solve the murder next door. We still haven't had anybody solve the robbery on the other side of the house. You know, why would, why would they want to put up more money to take on political prisoners? Um, so I don't think we as Georgians should be subsidizing this type of behavior. I mean, I think she is a clear domestic threat to the Constitution. And, uh, you know, the other thing is we got we to gotta use our inherent subpoena power to investigate her. Why was the indictment put out, you know, hours before the grand jury ever concluded? Well, what good's the grand jury? Why would you even have the grand jury if you're just going to have the indictment come out before they even make a conclusion? Right. Um, you know, there's a lot of things to inquire into the nature of with her, you know, especially what coordination does she have with the Department of Justice? Oof. You know, in, in a sense, like, what's the great RICO? You know, is it the Department of Justice and Fani and everyone else working together to target Donald Trump? You know, that's kind of what it's looking like. It, it certainly does. It's so so interesting. And and something you just said triggered uh, a, a thought, and I hadn't thought of it this way, because you talk about retroactively applying a law. Generally speaking, the the sort of ex post facto is what they, I think that's what they call it in, in the legal terms, where you can't criminalize something and go back. So my mom is not going to get charged for naming me Kyle when you outlaw the name Kyle. That can't be right. done. But taking the teeth out of a law that has already been there, that people do this with things like decriminalizing marijuana, you know, applying it backwards against sentencing of people that have done nonviolent drug offenses. This actually does have kind of a, a reputation all around the country. State legislatures have been doing this. Be very interesting to see if you could cut out, but then but then do you lose something important about the uh, the RICO statute where you cut the teeth out right. of it? Uh, I guess in a weaponized way, there's nothing wrong with that. What, what ability do you have to line item veto? If your special session were to go through and people were to actually, you know, come together and vote against uh, you, is it Fanny or is it Fanny? Do we well, know? Her, her name's Fanny, but she's showing her Fanny. Roger. I can track that. Okay. So okay. so Fanny's out there doing this. Can you line item veto specific amounts of money to specific investigations? Or how detailed can you get with your sort of your budget uh, defunding? So basically the way it works in Georgia is all the money goes to this thing called the Prosecutorial Council. And then they dish out the money to the different district attorneys. So the way the language in the letter of the law would work is we would say, you know, here's your money. Uh, prosecutorial counsel, you distribute it like you've normally been distributing it, but it will be against the law for you to dish out any of this money to the Fulton County District Attorney's office. You know, so then she's going to be dependent. Um, you know, some would make the constitutional argument that since she is a state official, we have to give her something, which that's fine. Give her one dollar. But then <laughs> she's going to have to be subsidized by the Fulton County citizens and by Washington, D.C. She's not going to have to be subsidized uh, by people in Northwest Georgia. You know, I mean, we, we work hard, we sweat hard for our tax dollars and we do not want to see our tax dollars, um, being used against Fani. Now, here's the other thing about this. So people say, well, you can't just take away all of her money. I mean, that's, you're just going to make the situation worse. Well, to me, the situation is pretty bad when she already has enough money to outbid as an auctioneer, she already has enough money to outbid uh, my district attorney here in Northwest Georgia. So my district attorney, he's been coming to me for months and saying, look, like we've got a triage of cases, but we don't have enough attorneys to prosecute the cases because some of our best attorneys, they're working from home and they're working for Fulton County and Cobb County and some of these metropolitan areas. Interesting. So it's like, we don't even have the money to prosecute our own cases and provide justice to Northwest Georgians. 
And why should we be subsidizing Fani, who's going to be wasting that money to take on political prisoners? She's actually outbidding you. So the opportunity cost of her offering higher salaries to good attorneys that could be prosecutors is that you guys can't hire them because they're out of reach now. Is that exactly? So, yeah, eliminate her three and a half million. Let's bring that back to these rural districts and let them hire some because because we like taking care of crime. You know, we like providing justice to our citizens. And right now, um, you know, it's being it's being taken away from us because you've got, you know, plenty of money down in Fulton that's being used to take on political prisoners. You know, my former boss uh, lives down there in Fulton. Chris Ray flies in there all the time. That's where his family lives. Okay, cool deal. So there's there's your your connection to uh, DOJ. I'm sure he's never uh, had a conversation with her on a tarmac like uh, <laughs> like uh, Loretta Lynch and, and Bill Clinton on the yeah. private jet that he flies down there. He flies a $60 million Gulfstream down there uh, about, well, about once a week, comes home for the weekend, wow. flies back up. Wow. Kind of interesting. All right. So you're, you're a pretty young guy. You've got a lot of history in front of you or a lot of uh, future in front of you if you want to keep doing this thing. Where do you see America going as a whole? So as you know, Georgia is one little piece of it. Uh, what does the, the big picture look like as far as maybe the next 20 years or maybe the next 18 months, if it, if it looks tighter than that for you um, from sitting on your mountain in Georgia? Yeah, um, I think the next 20 years is going to be decided in, um, you know, the next 12 months. Um, okay. That's what I think. Uh, what what happens with with Donald Trump? Um, you know that's going to be that's going to be the test a, into the future. And if if Donald Trump is is convicted, is put into jail, in addition to these eighteen others, then we've lost freedom. Uh, freedom is no more. I mean, imagine anyone running for office, getting elected by their constituents but then being reluctant to represent their constituents because they're worried whatever they say or do, they may find themselves in the gulag. You know, I mean, that's that's a constitutional crisis. We're already in one, but it would be far worse when if, if people say, well, Donald Trump and my, you know, these other senators, they they went to jail. I, I you know, my constituents want this, but but I, I'm afraid to say anything about it. So there's going to be a lot fewer people running for office because they don't want to put themselves in that kind of condition. Uh, there's going to be a lot fewer people advocating for the right things because they're worried about that. They don't have freedom of speech anymore. I don't know where else to go. Um, you know, there's no other, there's no other country. Um, there, no one else has freedom of speech like we have freedom of speech. So for me, I mean, I, I'm spending every single day in this fight and will continue to because to me, I, I look at it as the last fight. Like freedom is only one generation away. And in my generation, this is the fight. Um, this is where we have to protect it. And 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 hopefully we win and we we give it to the next generation. And ultimately they're gonna have to protect it at some time too. I wonder if you've done any examination of conscience of what sets you different from the uh from the colleagues you have that are that are scared, that are worried about being prosecuted. You're out there speaking out. What's the what's the fundamental difference you think that uh, allows you to to do the right thing, and uh, and defend these values when other people are, are are nervous or you know they're they're wanting to keep their head down and keep the status quo? Yeah, um, for me, I've I've seen the other world. Um, I've been all across the globe. Um, I know what it means uh, not to have freedom. You know, when you hop in a taxi cab in some of these third world countries that I've been to. Um, you know, you you ask them, what do they think about their president? And they're reluctant to say anything about it. You, you make them flinch. They get nervous. Right. Um, they, it's they don't have freedom. They don't have they don't have any repercussion. Um, you know, it's it's so sad. And I do not want uh, to live in an America like that. 
Um, I do not want to live in a socialist country where I have to give all of my tax money away so it can be redistributed uh, in different ways. I mean, I love the free enterprise system. Uh, I love being able to say whatever I want to say whenever I want to say it. I mean, it's bred into me. And, you know, there's nowhere else for me to go. And that's why it's so important to fight. I mean, it, it's getting back to some of these statements from the past, you know, like, give me liberty or give me death. That's how important it is for me. Makes sense to me. Uh, we've got some audience that's going to be in Georgia. Any uh, any action items that they can do, uh, tangible actions they can take and, and, and move the needle? Yeah, I think uh, if, if, if you can make it to your local GOP, um, you know, make a motion uh, and make your GOP put out a statement uh, in support of defending freedom and targeting Fonnie Willis. Um, if um, you're not involved in the GOP, call up your state senator, call up your state representative and demand that they start taking action. Tell them to get off the sidelines, start doing their job that they swore an oath to do and defend the Constitution. Uh, if you're outside of the state of Georgia, uh, you can go to my website, coltonmore.com slash emergency, or you can go to specialsession.com and uh, you can sign on to the official petition there. Well, I'll tell you what, we always try to end with a little bit of hope. I think there's some hope, just the fact that there's guys like you out there doing this thing that are Absolutely. out there speaking the truth. Hope. Yeah, <laughs> there Absolutely. has to be. And we got to use that First Amendment so we don't end up with the Second Amendment, which I think is what uh, some of us instinctively know, those of us who have seen what violence looks like, too. That's right. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you and your fight. Yeah, no, I appreciate you coming on and speaking to us. I hope you come back and uh, give us updates. And if you have any victories or we can push any messages, We'd be happy to do that. I think people are, they're looking for voices. They're looking for people to stand behind. Uh, nobody wants to be the first guy through the door, but if you're going to be that guy, it's nice to have someone behind you for sure. Yeah. I mean, courage is contagious, you know, but so is cowardice. Uh, it's contagious too. So uh, choose courage. And if you can't find anybody that's willing to do it, you charge the hill yourself. You'll be surprised at who comes with you. Yeah, fair enough. I love that. Amen. All right, Colton Moore, thanks for joining us, buddy. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again. Thank you. Appreciate it. I got on mute. There it is, y'all. Courage is contagious, but so is cowardice. So you heard what it's about. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I really enjoyed talking to Colden. He's a good guy. Uh, Steve Friend ran into him the other day and said he's about seven feet tall, which is also pretty awesome. Uh, just, a, just a good voice for sanity. And nice to see that some people are being represented in Georgia by someone like that. Uh, before we wrap up today's show, I want to say thanks to my buddy over at uh, at the-suspendables.com. There it is. Let's pull this up. This is our merch store. This is supporting Garrett O'Boyle. Like I said, you guys are keeping him running ragged. He's getting orders in all day long, and uh, I hope you guys will consider putting in a purchase there. I did something kind of special with him this weekend. We're sitting out there. If you guys follow me on, uh, on Twitter or on True Social, you saw I was drinking a cup of coffee and watching the cold air come in and uh, you know wearing my, wearing my shirts and uh, repping it to the neighborhood. I told Garrett, what we need is a bundle that some people might want. And so what we've done, if you'll bear with me here, this is the badge pin. Some of you guys are seeing this thing. Some of you are thinking, hey, man, I don't need another T-shirt. I'm, I'm not a guy who's going to go out there and play that game. But, um, but I would wear something on a dress blazer. I would put it on a hat. I'd love a pin. Uh, we've got them at $12.98 right now. This is what Garrett's priced him out at. This is where he's going to be able to make it worth your time. Um, but some of you are just interested in a pin. You know, you're not going to be, a, you're not a t-shirt person. And I totally get that. So if you'll bear with me here, I'm actually going to show you something that I told him we got to do. You can use promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E will get you 10% off. Or what you can do is, I think I can actually interact with this little screen here. So if you add one, two, three of these to a cart, add that sucker into the cart. Let's go ahead and see what that cart looks like. Oh, it looks like I've already done that. Look at that. 
If you do three of them, you're going to get three for 30 bucks. And if you use my promo code, Kyle, you're going to get three bucks off, which is going to make the shipping free. So you can get three pins for $30. The shipping's on us. Uh, if you want to go out there and just get those pins. And the way I see it is that's one pin for you. And uh, it's two pins to hand out to people that are suspendables in your life. And I know we all have somebody that's doing the right thing. So by all means, check out Garrett O'Boyle's website. This is the-suspendables.com, the Suspendables merch. We're going to get some more stuff on there. I know some of you guys are into the Ranger panties. I wear them every day. So like, don't, don't, uh, don't be surprised if that's, uh, if that's a big seller too, I'm sure. But check out the pins. Here's one right here. You're seeing it up here on my blazer. They look awesome. They really do. We're going to get some other colors in. We might have some limited edition. And there are stickers on there. If you guys put it in order, Garrett's throwing in stickers randomly, some holographic stuff with the upside down flag like you've seen on my Patriot Tumblr and some other things. So anyway, uh, thank you all so much for joining me today. We're streaming live from Liberty Hill, Texas. As you well know, we start at 0930 Eastern time. We were in the top three live podcasts that we're running. And uh, we were running against a live stream of Joe Rogan of all people, uh, who just has like a bunch of clips running in perpetuity on Rumble. So just tell you what, I really appreciate all of you coming out there. Well over a thousand that were in the live chat uh, multiple times. And uh, you guys, you're the reason why this show keeps growing. You're the reason why it keeps uh, getting as big as it does. And let me uh, throw this up here because we got a review as we always do. These are the reviews we like to read for you when you put them out here on Apple. This is the Apple, uh, the Apple podcast app. You can find the link below in the description. And here's one from crazy Mimi 64. That's a good name. It says, thanks. Five stars, Kyle. I always enjoy your shoe. I assume that's a show. We're going to give you the, uh, the, uh, phone tweeting credit there. Honest to the point humor. Great guest. Keep up the great work. I hope you enjoyed our little chat here today with Colton. Uh, really good guy. Like I said, somebody who can speak quickly and take your money, but chose to sit and talk to us and, uh, speak slowly and make some really good points, some things uh, that give me a little bit of hope. And in a world where we are now being distracted by a lot of geopolitical noise, the signal is still coming from our house if we want to be serious about handling the future in America, because we've got some really big 12 months in front of us, as he just said. And uh, if we're not paying attention, we're going to be in some real, real hot water, and uh, it's going to be our own fault. So go out there, make a difference. Go out there and meet your neighbors. I keep saying it. The reason how you uh, you solve some of these problems is your neighbors see you as a friend and not a foe. It doesn't matter what you think about Israel or Palestine or anything else like that. What matters is, is that you got kids, you care about American values, and you are just sharing that as another human being with a face and a name and a voice and a, and a future together. Let's do those things. Folks, we really appreciate you joining us. I look forward to talking to you tomorrow. We're going to be bringing on George Hill, former NSA analyst, former uh, supervisory analyst at the FBI with uh, about 40 years total or 25, what is it? I don't know, 25, 30 years. He'll tell us again in the intelligence community, an expert in national security, giving you a sane, sober, and skeptical look at all the news that you're getting. Once again, trying to separate some of that signal out from the noise that's out there. Have a great day. We'll see you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter and True Social at Kyle Serafin.